So verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Well, I wonder how you respond to crowds of people, to a mass of people all in one place. Uh, whether, I don't know, it's a crowded tube or a station or a sporting event or a live concert, when there's a mass of people all gathered together. I don't know, are you, are you maybe slightly fearful, a little bit claustrophobic? Think to yourself, the quicker I get out of this, the better. Or do you find yourself getting a little bit annoyed or even judgmental about the behavior of the crowd, a bit of jostling going on? Or do you just shut off? You know, you just shut down, shut people out. Well, I'm the sort of person actually who rather likes crowds. Um, I love looking at people and uh, just imagining, you know, where they've come from or where they're going or what they're doing or what they're like. Um, uh, people fascinate me. And I often think to myself, I wonder how many of you people know Jesus already? How many of you people will come to know Jesus before you meet him when you die? Uh, and I love actually starting up a conversation with a complete stranger, you know, finding that connection or that surprising sort of uh, or amusing moment to share. Uh, people almost always surprise me. They're fascinating. Uh, I was in a crowded tube a little while ago and uh, a young woman uh, were opposite me was on her mobile, deep in conversation. And I, I just couldn't help listening in, as you do. Uh, and she was obviously talking to her boyfriend and he'd obviously done something naughty. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd messed her up. And it was a very intense conversation between the two of them. And she was quite upset. Um, uh, but I could tell, you know, that they were trying to sort things out. Um, but then she suddenly said, well, you know, I'm really sorry, but I don't think, I don't think we can move on from here. I think this is the end of the road. I, I, I don't want to see you again. And I found myself exclaiming out loud, oh, no. <laughs> and she looked up at me, sort of, admittedly a bit surprised, and said down the phone, she said um, to her boyfriend, there's the lady opposite me who obviously doesn't think we should break up. <laughs> anyway, I wonder how you respond to crowds. Jesus was no stranger to crowds. You know, our opening verse gives us just a glimpse of that. It tells us what he's been doing in the past couple of chapters, in, in other words, in the past couple of months. It's obviously been an exhausting schedule. Traveling, we're told, through all the towns and villages in Galilee. Uh, there probably were around 200 of them at that time in that region, probably with no less than 15,000 people in each. And Jesus went round teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I mean, huge crowds and a huge task. And here's Jesus driving back everything and anything that comes against God's kingdom, everything that wrecks this world. Ignorance, sin, isolation, uh, unbelief, sickness, and even death. That's what we've been reading in these last few chapters. Crowds of people following him everywhere, desperate to hear his words, his preaching, his teaching, but also desperate to receive his healing. And Jesus was no stranger to crowds. But what's fascinating in these few verses is how he responds to them. Because here in this short passage, we get an extraordinary glimpse 
of how Jesus sees the crowds, how he sees you and me. And first of all, he sees a desperate need, a desperate need, verse 36. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we're not often told about Jesus' personal feelings in the Gospels. So I reckon when we are told something, we need to take note. This is going to be significant. And that word compassion is a very strong word. It literally means gutted. Someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Someone else's suffering becomes your suffering. You're you're gutted. And Jesus looks out on the crowd and he has this deep gut-wrenching reaction to their plight. You know, and let's be clear, he's he's not just feeling a little bit sad about it. He is gutted at what he sees because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus sees what others fail to see. He sees the desperate needs in people's lives, not just the obvious ones, but those needs that we often keep well hidden, well out of sight. Those needs that people often feel, but but actually don't truly understand and can't easily express. He sees harassed and helpless souls. Now I wonder, what do we see when we look out on the crowds of people that sometimes surround us? When we see maybe the mass of commuters surging onto the platforms at Clapham Junction, or the crowds of shoppers in the Northcote Road, or the partygoers just pouring out of the restaurants and clubs and pubs uh, around here, do we look at them and think to ourselves, well, they're okay. You know, they're, 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 they're nice people. They're okay. They're happy. They're busy. They're relatively well off. Jesus looks at them. And sees that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He sees what we fail to see. Jesus sees the anxieties, the frustrations, the the fears, the insecurities, the emptiness, the lostness. People chasing after happiness, looking desperately for security and, and success and meaning in their lives. Looking in all the wrong places. Harassed by the overwhelming pressures in their lives. Harassed by the, the expectations, maybe. The over the competition around them, the uncertainties. And of course, that word harassment now holds a further meaning for us in these days of sexual pressure and aggression. Harassed and helpless. Maybe not helpless, helpless in, a worldly, in worldly terms. You know, many people may feel competent in the workplace. They may feel quite confident socially but often feel helpless to cope with the inner struggles of guilt and sin and temptation, of loss or hopelessness or deep anxiety, even depression. Helpless in the face of those. And Jesus sees all this and he has compassion on us. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't get angry with us or impatient with us. No, we're told he's heartbroken for us. He's gutted. We're like sheep. Without a shepherd, we're lost without him. Lost without the good shepherd to guide and protect us. Because without the true shepherd, we will be at the mercy of other shepherds. And the point is that if we're not in the hands of the good shepherd, we'll be in the hands of someone or something else. Others will come to fill the vacuum. You know, without Christ, we're left lost and rudderless. Without him, you know, as our guide, as our anchor, we'll be dominated. We'll be at the mercy of of other enemies. 
of the three great enemies, the world, the sin, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, they're all real. They're all, they're all coming, you know, surrounding us, oppressing us, the world pushing us to follow every new wave of opinion or fad or fashion. The flesh making us, making us chase after anything that will give instant satisfaction. I'll have it now. You know, ruling us by, with seemingly strong, uncontrollable desires. And the devil, yes, he's real. And we can become an easy prey to his lies and deception. And I know that this is hard for us to hear, isn't it? We don't like to see ourselves or other people in this light. But the truth is, you know, we're not strong, independent, resourceful, progressive individuals as we'd like to believe. And as Jesus looked out on the crowds, he sees very clearly, you know, the desperate state of a world without God, the eternal consequences of a life without a savior. And you know, if we don't see this too, if we don't see people as Jesus sees people, we won't feel gutted. We won't have that same compassion that Jesus has for the harassed and the helpless. You know, we won't feel that vital need to save, to reach out to the lost. Because Jesus sees people as they really are. And the question is, do we? There's a desperate need, but there's also an amazing opportunity. An amazing opportunity, verse 37. We're told the harvest is plentiful. Jesus sees the desperate need, but he he doesn't stop there. You know, his mission, yes, is born out of compassion, but it's also born out of hope. He looks around the crowd, and he doesn't just see the helplessness. He sees hopefulness, the hope that people will be saved. An amazing opportunity. And Jesus has this extraordinary ability to see people both uh, as leaderless and lost, but also as ripe and ready. The harvest is ripe for picking, he says. Um, I was down in East Sussex uh, at the Oasthouses Retreat Centre that we often use. Um, And it it was late one summer, and I went out for a walk, and I found myself in the middle of an enormous orchard. And the, the, the branches on the trees were just completely weighed down with these great, big, beautiful red apples. I mean, just thousands of them, ripe for picking. In fact, overripe. Many of them had already fallen on the ground and were rotting or either being eaten by wasps. And actually, it was, it was horrid to see. It was an awful sight, looking out at this, you know, rich harvest of apples, but no one bothering to collect them in for whatever reasons. Such a waste, such a tragic waste And what a tragic waste when, as Jesus says here, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Too few. I don't know, too lazy, too busy, too indifferent to collect in the harvest. People often like to say that this country is in spiritual decline, you know, congregations dwindling, churches closing. But, you know, this isn't cause for loss of hope. This is motivation for ministry. You know, more than ever, there are amazing opportunities. And you see, the stumbling block to mission isn't lack of interest or opportunity. The stumbling block to mission is lack of workers. That's what Jesus says here. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
This is the problem. The harvest is ripe for picking, but there's no one to do the work. And so the fruit, the corn, is just rotting. It's wasted. And it's interesting, I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for the harvest. He doesn't pray for revival. He tells us, his words are this, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, we're just, we're first of all praying for ourselves. We're first of all praying for ourselves to go out rather than people to come in. You know, there's no point praying for men to come and hear Nick Stott next Friday at the men's weekend or, or women to come on this Taste for Christmas evening or for people to come out from our community to our Christmas carol services as if God's going to do, somehow do something magical bringing people in while we're sitting on our backsides. You know, that's not how it works. Maybe just occasionally it does, but not, that's not how it works. That's not how he wants it. No, we're told we've got to pray for ourselves, that each of us feels that urgency, first of all, to be sent out into the harvest field. Because no one else is going to make those invitations. The real work doesn't actually happen in here. It happens out there. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And that word sent, send, literally means to be, to be thrown out, thrust out. And that's exactly what happens here in our passage. You know, when, when Matthew wrote this, it wasn't written in chapters. It just went straight on to the next bit. So just look on. Jesus called his 12 disciples and sent them out. He thrust them out. He said, you've heard what I, you've seen and heard what I do. Now go and do it. Go and do it. Go out into the harvest field. He thrust them out. And this is telling us that we need to be prepared to be the answer to our own prayers. And, you know, some of us may say, I've said it on many occasions, oh, no, 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 this isn't for me. You know, it's just not my gifting. I'm, I'm not good at evangelism. I don't know what to say. I always get tongue-tied. I always get it wrong. Uh, I don't want to offend. Well, we need to be aware. If we all think like that, we'll bring the church to an end in just one generation. That's all it will take. All of us to back off. Look what happens. I heard one preacher say, will you be a worker or a shirker? Will you be a worker or a shirker? A bit harsh, I thought, but hey-ho. Uh, will you be a worker or a shirker? So maybe if we are reluctant workers, maybe we need to start by praying that God would give us this, this compassion, this gut-wrenching reaction as we look at people, as we see people who, yes, are lost and harassed and helpless. Help us to see people. Ask God to help us to see people as he sees them. Because if we simply see people through our lens, the lens that tells us again and again, you know, they're basically okay. They're, 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 they're good people. They're nice people. They're not really lost and helpless. They're not really without hope. Then we'll be happy to leave them as they are. We won't have that same gut-wrenching reaction that makes us desperate to be the answer, part of the answer. I mean, just think for a moment, what stops you personally from being part of the answer, from being a worker rather than a shirker? What is it that stops you? Is it fear? Fear of what others might think, fear that you might get it wrong? Is it indifference? That actually you, you don't really care. Is it laziness? You're not really bothered. Other things take its place. You have other priorities. Is it over-busyness? 
You don't give it the time. You don't, you don't, you don't, you're not praying. You're not pushing through with this. Or is it even because somewhere along the line, you've lost confidence in the gospel? You don't really believe that people's eternal lives are at stake. You don't really believe that they are in eternal danger, mortal danger. What is it that stops us from either seeing the needs or taking the opportunities? Because Jesus says, you know, the harvest is plentiful. It's plenty to do, but the workers are few. That's the real problem, he says. It's not that the people aren't ready to hear. It's because there aren't enough workers to tell. So how can we make ourselves more ready, more willing to be workers in his kingdom? And I'm speaking to myself as much to anybody here. And I'm looking out and I'm seeing many of you who are amazing at this. Who, yes, are talking to your friends. You are going out there. You are inviting people in. But I find this stuff hard. Um, so here are just a few suggestions. First of all, take another look at the crowd. Take another look at the crowd. Let's ask God to help us as we go around doing our ordinary things, ordinary everyday things, let's ask God to help us see people as he sees them. And if we feel we've lost that heart of compassion for others, then let's ask him for it. Let's ask God to give it back to us. Or if we feel that we've lost confidence in whatever way in the gospel, let's do our homework. You know, let's read a book, something like Rico Tice's book, Honest Evangelism. Let's read something that, yeah, convinces us again of God's truth and God's saving power. Number one. Number two, let's be prepared to be an answer to our own prayers. Yeah, we might need to ask for courage to pick up on, on, on opportunities, but let's do that. Ask for courage to pick up on any opportunities that might come across our path. For instance, as we, as we walk into our workplace, why don't we start the day by saying just a simple prayer, simple Arab prayer, Lord, who, use me with someone today. Help me to allow me to, to just say something that will speak of you to someone else today, someone who doesn't know you, someone who needs that encouragement, that, that, that hopefulness about life. Use me. As we walk our children into school, say that prayer. Lord, use me with a mum who may be struggling with a teacher who may not know, know you, give me the words to say. As we walk through our local streets, don't let's just be sort of wandering through them. Let's be focused. Let's pray God in. Let's ask God to put, literally put, bring people across our paths that we can just give something to. As we go shopping in those endless queues at Christmas, you know, let's not just be in our own zone. Let's look around. Let's pick up on opportunities. Number three, let's resolve to use the opportunities we do have, the opportunities here. And yes, the immediate ones, the men's weekend. Are you booked in? Have you booked in a friend? The, men, the women's evening, are you booked in? Have you booked in a friend? Think now who you could invite. You know, the other Christmas events and services coming up. Um, yeah, just pick up, pick up you, the, your, the little Christmas flyer a minute. You may be sitting on it, maybe under your chair. Pick it up a minute. Have a look at it. Just look down on the back, all those different events and services. And right now, why don't you, why don't you think, why don't you match one of those events to one of, your, one of your friends or work colleagues or family? Think to yourself, what would suit them best? Is it the contemporary carols? Is it the carols by candlelight? 
Is it, the, is it the carols in the pub? I mean, there's so many things we could invite them to. Match your friend to the event and ask them. Think now who you could invite. And looking into next year, further afield, put the big questions evening into your diary, January the 14th. Do it now, keep it free. And be thinking over Christmas as you have conversations with different people. Ah, oh, they'd be good. That would be good for them. I'll invite them. Number four. Let's equip ourselves. Let's be ready. Let's be proactive. If we're hesitant or unsure how to do all of this, you know, don't let's just feel guilty and give up. That's what I often do. Listen to the latest Speak Hope podcast from Mark Thomas. Brilliant. Making the most of Christmas. It's only 10 minutes. It's online now. It's down on our resources page along with the sermons. Just pick it up this week. and Get ideas and encouragements of how you can use Christmas for others. And lastly, maybe think of some questions, some open-ended questions you could ask people over Christmas. Opening up maybe a deeper conversation. Things like this, what do you think makes people happy? What do you think brings meaning to life? What brings meaning to your life? What gives you hope or security for the future in a world such as ours? How do you find peace? How do you live with yourself? Little things, but let's be workers, not shirkers in this. Let's do this together. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be indifferent. Let's not be lazy. Let's try not to be over busy. And let's be confident in the message that we have to share. Shall we stand? And as we stand and as we band comes up and as we just respond to this personally um, I just want to read some words from the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament because it ties in with this passage with the words in this passage that just remind us how God is longing to reach the lost and yes he he he's looking to us he's engaging us in this kingdom work but actually it's him we know it's he who has that heart, the greatest heart of all, for the lost. He's the one who's drawing people. He's the one who will open their ears and their hearts and their minds. And as I read this, I just want you to ask God to bring to mind one person, a person maybe in your workplace, maybe an old friend, an old school friend or university friend, maybe a neighbor, maybe a casual acquaintance, someone you've only just fleetingly met. But think to yourself as I read this, the only thing that stands between them and this promise that God has for us is me. That's the only thing standing between them and this promise. Me, the worker, going into the harvest field. So let me read. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. That will be their grazing land. 
and they will lie down in good pasture, and they will, they will feed on rich food and on the mountains of Israel. And I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make each one of us ready workers, willing workers in your kingdom. And Lord, we first of all want to confess, we want to confess our, 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 our ignorance, our indifference, our ineptitude. We want to confess the times when we have failed to speak out when we should, when we failed to, to grasp the opportunities that have been given to us. We're sorry when we've done this crazy thing of thinking that people are fine, they're okay, they're okay without you, they're happy, they're good. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the same compassion that you have. Lord, wreck us for what wrecks you. Lord, give us that gut-renting reaction as we look out. Maybe we see, yes, those people that we love and care for who don't yet know you. Maybe as we look out on crowds of people that we don't know, but we guess many, many, many don't know you yet. And Lord, we pray that you would allow us to be part of the answer. We pray that you would send us out, thrust us out from here as we go out from, through these doors. Lord, we pray that we would realize we're going out into your kingdom. And we pray your kingdom come. We pray that, yes, you would thrust us out into uncomfortable places, places where, where yes, our heart pounds and our, our tongue goes dry. And we wonder, yes, what, what, can I, what do I do here? Help us to rely on your spirit, to ask him for those opportunities and to listen to him as he gives us, to, gives us those, those people, those places. And listen to him so that we know what to say how to say things. Lord, I, we pray that you would make us diligent workers. And if there are, is a, a sense of ineptness in us, or even of, uh, of just, uh, just unbelief, Lord, we pray that you would, um, you would make us diligent in how we, how we do our work, our preparation. Lord, make us skilled workers. Make us skilled workers in this. And Lord, we pray, we pray that you would, you would help us to see that the harvest is plentiful and that we are one of your precious workers.